And we welcome very much Seth Still to our pulpit this morning. Thank you, thank you very much for your willingness to minister to us with the Word of God. Good morning. Glad to be here with you all. I confessed my resentment towards you all during the time of confession for taking my best friend away uh, from Cleveland. Y'all took Ashley, but I see you. he's drinking out of crystal now, so I uh, understand why he moved. But yeah, I do love Ashley. I'm thankful that he uh, invited me to come and fill in for him this morning and glad uh, for all of y'all and your prayers for us at Crosstown and would love to tell you more about it, but probably better to do that uh, in a one-on-one or uh, something like that. But maybe I'll come back and we'll do, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll do Wednesday night or something. But yeah, thank you for your prayers. We're uh, about to enter year three in our church plant and it's, uh, it's been good, but I was telling your elders earlier, it's kind of like dog years when you're a church planner. So so more like 21 years of church planning. But yeah, it, uh, we, we really would appreciate uh, your prayers for that and prayers for our family and uh, what we're doing there in Cleveland. So if you look in your bulletin there, you'll have uh, a copy of the text that we're going to read, Genesis chapter 32. And, and I won't give you too much context, but uh, just know this, uh, what we're thinking about this morning with the story of Jacob Jacob in this text is, is probably somewhere around 90 in his 90s, which I, you know, a little different then than now, but he's still uh, an older guy, got a lot of life experience. Uh, his name means something like deceiver, we think, and uh, that's really been his life. He deceived his, really his dad and his, uh, his brother, his twin brother, and tricked him out of uh, his inheritance and money and really his life in a lot of ways. And so where, where we're going to land in Genesis 32 is uh, he's going to meet his brother after all these years, and he's going to try to bribe him, which, you know, it's a good plan. going to bribe, uh, bribe his brother because he's gotten rich uh, by tricking people. And Jacob, uh, he's just a hustler. I mean, that's what he's done his whole life. He's hustled. He's uh, deceived people. He's tricked people. He's done whatever he's got to do to get to the top. In a lot of ways, you know, uh, for a lot of us, January, we're kind of dreaming of uh, Jacob's life. How do I get to the top? How do I be the best? How do I get more wealthy this year? How do I, you know, just win, I guess, would be the, the way that he's, uh, he's thinking. And, and so follow along in the text, which is kind of a long text, I realize. But, uh, just kind of follow along with the story. So Genesis 32, starting in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me and the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milking camels and their calves, 
40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of Jacob. Of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. The man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. He touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you, let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you asked me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day... The people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Amen. That's God's Word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful to be in your presence. We're grateful that your throne is a throne of grace, and you invite us to come with confidence. To come as your children who simply want to be with you, who want to know you, who want to hear from you this morning. And so we pray that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts. We pray, Jesus, that you would be lifted up. We know that all of Scripture is about you. It simply points to you. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, that you would uh, free us from our worry and our anxiety, that you'd give us peace and rest in Christ. And we would, uh, just like Jacob, wrestle with you this morning, and that we might hold tightly to you and trust that uh, you love us and you delight in us this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So just a couple of things this morning, uh, two points, uh, wrestling with God and a blessed wound. And it really is, uh, if you think about wrestling with God, it's, it's a strange text. You, uh, you've got Jacob who, again, he's older now, he's kind of done everything that he wanted to do. He's, uh, in a lot of ways, wrestled with life. And he, uh, he's come to this point now where when you see him, you know, it says he's afraid. We kind of get into his emotional life. But we see that he starts to wrestle with, you know, who we think is God, uh, this pre-incarnate Jesus. And it's, it's at this point he, in the text, it says that, that he holds on and he won't let go. And 
what I think is going on there is he's come to this point where he says, look, I would rather die than keep living my life the way that I've lived all these years. Deceiving, hustling, just always trying to, to make it and grow and change and get better. And he says, look, I've, I've had it. I, I, I would rather die than go on. And I think that's a good question for us this, this morning. Like, have you come to a point in your life, in your relationship with God, where you feel like you're saying, I, I can't do this anymore? And it's a great time of year to do that, to wrestle with saying, hey, I can't, my, my life can't go on the way that it has been. And he just grabs a hold of God. And the amazing thing is this, is that Jesus wrestles with him all night. You know, if you've ever wrestled with anybody, uh, you know, it's not, uh, I guess it can be, I guess it can be kind of play and fun and games, but when I read this text, it doesn't sound like that. You know, this sounds like a fight. And the amazing thing is how close Jesus lets him get, how close that, that he gets down in the dirt, rolls around with Jacob and fights him the whole time. You know, you, you see at the end of the text where all he does is touch his hip and it's over. I mean, he could have done that the whole time, but yet he's down there in the dirt with him, rolling around, fighting. And I imagine that it's just, you know, just this mess. It's sweat and blood and tears and, you know, what, what I imagine what real prayer looks like. You know, not the King James version of like, God, thou beest, you know, all that garbage. Uh, it's like real prayer. It's down in the dirt with Jesus wrestling around and getting, getting this all over you. You know, Bonhoeffer said this. He says, God is not ashamed of human lowliness, but goes right into the middle of it. And that's what I see here with Jacob wrestling with God, is that God is not ashamed of our lowliness. He doesn't mind getting in the midst of the mess. And, and he invites us to do that. And so the first thing, I think, with just an invitation in there, is to say God is inviting us to wrestle with Him in prayer. To really lay it all out there. To, you know, and if, if you struggle with that like I do, then maybe turn to the Psalms and just see, maybe just pray them. Pray them word for word what the Psalms say because they are wrestling with God. They are saying, God, why aren't you showing up in my life? Like, why has nothing changed? Why are the things the way they are? And there's an invitation there to say, hey, what a, what a great way to start the year. An invitation to wrestle with God and a God who wants to get in there with you, get in the midst of whatever's going on in your life. And so that's the first thing, is that an, an invitation to wrestle. But the second thing is a blessed wound. If you, if you think about uh, Jacob, he's in this really dark place, you know, both literally and figuratively. He's out here camping. He's in his 90s. He, uh, he wants everybody to believe he has life figured out. You know, he's, given, he's showing off his wealth. He's given all these gifts to Esau. He's kind of showing, you know, showing up the older brother. Hey, look at, I know none of y'all ever do anything like that. Uh, but he gets in this, uh, so he's in this situation. And what he wants from God is he wants to be blessed. You know, he says, he says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And in Jacob's mind, no doubt, he has a picture of what that looks like. Like here, when I'm asking God for a blessing, this is what it looks like. 
you know, kind of prosperity gospel, like, God, here's what I want, you know, slot machine, give it to me. Instead of that, what God gives him is he gives him this blessed wound. He gives him a permanent limp. You know, look at that in the text. It says from then on, he has this permanent limp. And there's a lot to this. You know, everybody in this room has got a limp. This church has a limp. Every organization you're a part of has a limp. But, but I want to say especially all of us. And, and there are all different kinds of limps. You know, for some of us, that limp is emotional. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you got that limp from your family of origin. The way you grew up. Your, your family was so broken. And it's a limp for you. You know, it's not one of those things where you can do what we like to do as Presbyterians. Like, hey, read this book. And uh, if you read this book, now this is the one, finally. They finally came out with this one. If you read this book, you won't limp anymore. And that's not a limp. You know, or maybe it's something like post-traumatic stress. Or it's something like trauma. Or it's some type of deep wound that you have in your soul and, and it's a limp for you. you know, or maybe it is physical. Maybe it is like, like Jacob has in here. It is a, a physical limp, something that is physically wrong with you. And it, and it limits your life and it, it, it keeps you from what you want. You know, for some of us, I mean, it could be, it, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's what you use to medicate. You know, this is an anxious age. Maybe it always has been, but it just seems like more than ever. And and what you use to medicate your anxiety, the alcohol, the porn, the food, the work, the exercise, the you you name it, whatever your poison is, that's your limp. And and if if you think about it like this, you know, think about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. I mean, he wrote most of the Bible. Right, as far as New Testament goes. He wrote most of it, and yet he had this limp. And in 2 Corinthians, he puts it like this, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, Paul says, I will boast in my limp. Now, I I dare say, I don't know you, but... I know church people. Uh, I would dare say that you don't boast in your limp. And even though I've just said, I know we all have one. You know, if you've grown up, I'll, I'll just say, because I've grown up in the Bible Belt, good old Mississippi. If, uh, if you grew up in the Bible Belt, you probably have a PhD in hiding your limp. Uh, that's what we do. That's how you're trained. That's how the church has trained you to live, to, to hide your limp. And yet... When you, when you hear Paul writing this in a letter, and now that's been read by millions, where he says, I'm going to boast in it. I'm going to boast in my weakness, boast in my limp. Uh, 
I, I just, I can only, I can't imagine what that would look like if we did that. If we really said, you know, and, and look, he's obviously saying, this is something I begged Jesus to take away from me. You know, I, I bet I could just go down the rows. What do you call them? Pews. Yes, there it is. Go down the pews and say, uh, hey, tell me about your, tell me about your limp. Tell me about your weakness. And then I could almost guarantee if you've been a Christian for any time, you would say, man, this is something I begged Jesus to take away from me. I, I begged him to. And since he hadn't, I just had it. And, and yet Paul says, but I got to this point in my life where I could actually boast about it because Christ's power is most clearly seen in my weakness. And so what, what do you do with that as a church? And what do we do with the fact that the church has a limp and then the body of Christ, the, the people who make up the church, we have a limp? Well, what I, I think we see pretty clearly in Scripture is we're called to love, to love one another. One of my favorite authors, he, uh, he tells a story about going out to the maximum security prison every week and this long process of how all the things he had to do to get in there. And he teaches this Bible study every week. And uh, he talked about going in, and, and one of the first things he noticed was just kind of the, uh, uh, how, how some of the guys had really cool glasses and some of the guys had really starched, pressed uniforms and then some of the guys didn't. And it was very clear kind of the, even in prison, this kind of who had status and who didn't. And he figured this, this system out and kind of how it worked. And he, as he got to know this guy, one of the guys who obviously did not have status, uh, and he was constantly telling these guys how much God loved them and about God's unconditional love for them, even in no matter what they've done, maximum security prison. And this guy uh, finally told him, he said, uh, He said, how can I believe that God loves me when I've never had another human being tell me they love me? My mother never told me she loved me. My father never told me he loved me. No one in my entire life has ever told me they love me. And I thought about that, you know, of all the the, the struggles we have in this life, all the things that that you could just add up, all the limps, all the difficulties, all the, the sin that we struggle with, you know, this might be the toughest one to really know the love of God in Christ. You know, Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, he says in this prayer for his church, and and he's praying for church people. He's not praying for non-Christians. He's praying for church people. He says, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. You know, he's describing the cross there. And may you experience the love of Christ that's too great to understand fully then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So he says, look, we think of physical strength. He's saying there's another kind of strength that he's praying for to, to move the, the biggest boulder in our life, which is this knowledge of the love of God, to really know that God loves us. You know, he goes on to say, he says, we've become convinced in the deep recesses of our being, those sad, wounded places that medication and therapy often fail to reach, that we are deeply, profoundly, and permanently unlovable. We are damaged and broken beyond repair, and because of these wounds, the love of God is simply, utterly unbelievable. And so think about that. That, that, that could be, I'd say, most of us. That just, 
inability to believe God's love for you. That inability to really trust how much God loves you. And so let me just conclude with this. You know, it's interesting in the Jacob story, if you go back and read in Genesis, the whole section on Jacob, uh, he doesn't ever say his name. And that's interesting to me because of this. You know, all the people that I've counseled over the years, I've kind of picked up on something that seems to be pretty normal among people. It's this, uh, this just almost self-hatred. I... not even wanting to look in the mirror. You know, I've had so many people say that, and I just don't even want to look in the mirror. And in the text, uh, Jesus makes Jacob say his name out loud, makes him say, deceiver. Uh, And the beautiful thing is this, you know, instead of like berating Jacob, instead of, uh, you know, just laying into him and shaming him and guilting him, he says, you know, That's been your name your whole life, deceiver. And boy, you have lived up to it. He says, but now I'm going to, he renames him. He says, from now on, you're going to be Israel. That's your new name. Think about that. Uh, Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament. When he uh, finds Peter, he brings Peter to himself, draws him to himself. And, you know, you quickly in the Gospels realize just how big of a mess Peter is. And so Jesus looks at Peter's biggest weakness, his limp. And he says, you know what? I'm going to call you rock. I mean, I love that about Jesus. He's, you know, if you, I I grew up playing sports, so I grew up in the locker room. And if if you're a young guy, you know, sorry, young guys in here, maybe you don't want to play sports after this. But if you show any weakness in the locker room, I mean, it's over. Like, it's like shark circling. Like, they will pounce on your weakness. But Jesus is the opposite of that. When he sees our weakness, he looks right at it and he says, you know, in that spot where you feel the weakest, where you feel like that's where your limp is, where you feel like, man, this is the thing that just kind of keeps me from serving in the church at all. This is the thing that keeps me from prayer. This is the thing that just really, root, in a lot of ways, wrecks my life. Jesus says right there, he calls you the opposite of that. You know, there's a beautiful place in Revelation where it says that, and I don't know what this text means, uh, but it means something like this, that, that Jesus has a name for each one of us. Something that, that he sees in you, that it's like the last thing you see in yourself. And so let me just finish with this by saying an, an invitation here. Let Jesus speak to you your name. Your real name, not the, not the name that shame says to you all the time, that the enemy says to you, the accuser, but the name that Jesus has given you. You know, look at the cross was what Paul said, the height, the depth, the breadth, the, the length of the love of Christ for you. And my prayer for you this morning is that you, in this new year, in, in maybe some new ways, that you would know the love of Christ, that we would know the love of Christ, and that you would help each other know the love of Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that we would uh, have the power to know the love of Christ. Uh, It does seem like the most difficult thing in our lives. We pray uh, for those of us who need to hear our new name. So many of us have lived uh, under the weight uh, of the old name like Jacob did. 
a name that was uh, given to us maybe from family or from experiences or even from our own bad choices. And yet you can redeem us out of any of that. We pray this morning that you would give us faith, that we would trust you, that your grace is greater than all of our sin, and that where sin is abounding in, uh, in this church, uh, that your grace would superabound. And so we pray uh, just for your spirit to breathe these words of life into our heart. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.